So where God has led me to is just to talk with you today about some instructions that he gives for the family. Obviously, I love families. I have a family, a husband and three kids, but I serve in kids' ministry, so I'm around families all the time. And I just want you to know and understand that I believe that the institution of the family is the hope of our world, ultimately. Okay? It has been instituted by God from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, when he drew them together and told them to be fruitful and multiply. It has been instituted by God. And you don't have to look more than down the block or turn on the TV for five seconds, and you see that the institution of the family is greatly under attack in America, is it not? We don't even hardly know what defines family or what family means anymore. Family can be anything, okay? So it's under attack. And I believe the reason Satan is so strongly attacking our families is because when God designed family, he designed it to be a picture of who we are in our relationship with him. Him as the head, us as his bride, okay? The church as his family, his church, his people. And so in a perfect world, our families perfectly mirror and um, show the world who God is. Our families glorify God, okay, when done well. But the problem is, like I said, Satan is out to attack and kill and destroy anything that God would want to make great to glorify his name. Okay, so with that said, we're going to go ahead and dive into the scriptures. And I need you to open your Bibles to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 21 today. Then you can go ahead and buckle your seatbelts, get on the sub and get ready to get submerged. (laughs) Ha ha, you know, submerged. Go, y'all are tired. (laughs) All right, we're going to dive into the word, and we are going to talk about something that honestly is so humbling. Let me just go ahead and tell you, what I'm about to share with you today is coming from a heart. In fact, I think God laid this on my heart because he needed me to deal with it in my own life. Okay, this is not an easy topic. It's not popular. When he told me clearly that I was supposed to speak on Ephesians 5.21, I absolutely wanted to say no way. The first time I'm up in front of those people, I'm going to talk about peace and joy and rainbows and unicorns and happy things. No, but instead he said, you're going to talk about this. So I just want you to brace yourself, try not to roll your eyes, and we're going to get through it. Okay, so Ephesians 5:21. submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. Oh, what an unpopular word in our culture. Okay, doesn't take long at all to realize that everything in America is anti-submit. We are about ourselves, our own agenda, our rights, right? Our success, anything and everything we can do to promote ourselves. So the idea of submitting in its very most basic form is foreign. So I'm I'm just warning you that what you're going to hear today is not going to sound comfortable. It's not going to feel good. It didn't feel good to me. But it's God's truth. So since he said it, we're going to believe it. Okay? We're going to believe that it's going to honor God. 
So anyways, this word submit, what does that mean exactly in its truest form? For one, it means to stop fighting or resisting something. Like when Bradley called me into his office and said that he thought maybe I should speak today and I wanted to fight and resist and I tried very hard. I did because this is like not my cup of tea. But God said otherwise and so here I am. So it's to stop fighting and resisting, but with the idea of taking yourself and putting your your needs, desires, wants, agenda, opinions up under the needs of somebody else. So I want you to understand that when he's saying submit to one another out of reverence for Christ as an instruction for Christian households, Paul is basically telling us there is zero room for selfishness in a Christian family. Ouch. Ouch. Speaking from somebody who is so selfish a lot of times. It's hard. I get it. It is so hard. But to help me illustrate this point, I have a wonderful little assistant over here. She's already done so well for service. Kids, you're going to love this. Could I have my special, special friend, Sarah Kate, come on up? Give it up for Sarah Kate Carr. Yeah, girl. Come on over here. All right. Woo. Throwing money around. Sarah Kate, I have a job for you today, hon. You ready? Okay. This is what I want you to do. Now, this would really help me illustrate my sermon. If you could please pick up that beanbag and put it under that cone. Okay? But first of all, before you do, I want you to know that I'm not bossy. I'm really nice. Right? You know that about me? So I have some other options for you. Okay? I'm going to give her some other options. (sighs) even though I'd really like for you to put the beanbag under the cone, if you would like instead, you can either have this $5 bill or I got a bag of your very favorite candy. And you can have one of those instead and you can just go sit down right now. So it's your choice. Now, it would really help me if you would put the beanbag under the cone, but I want you to understand it's your choice. So you can do, you can take whatever you want. What's it going to be? Oh, she took, oh man, you took the candy. Well, I don't blame you. I probably would have done the same thing. It's okay. Let's see. I guess I'll have to put the beanbag under the cone myself. Oh no, Sarah Kate. Look what was under the cone. Candy and a $5 bill. You would have gotten both. But that's okay. At least you got the candy. Oh, goodness. Okay. All that to say, ladies and gentlemen, that I want you to understand something here. When God is telling us to submit or to put ourselves up under, it's not to say that there is not other options out there. And you know what? There could be other options that may work. I mean, it worked out pretty good. She still got her bag of her favorite candy. It's okay. But whenever God asks us to do something in his word, it is because he wants the best. Do you hear me here? He wants you to have the best. So maybe that's going to help this go down a little bit easier because as we get into this, I want you to understand that it's not a legalistic, you need to do this and wives submit. That is not My heart, that is not God's heart. His heart is that he designed the institution of marriage so he understands the way that it's going to work the most successfully 
And all he wants for you is the very, very best. So keep that in mind this morning while I'm talking. Got it? Okay. So let's go back, and we're going to kind of break it down and look at what submission looks like in every single area of the family, starting with wives. Y'all ready? Woo! Okay. Well, this was not easy for me, so it may not be easy for you either. But we're going to go with it. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And we're going to skip to verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Ouch, ouch, ouch. On so many levels, right? How many of you are just like, this lady is off her rocker, okay? Has she never heard of women's rights? I get it, I get it, I get it. It's so countercultural. Submit to put your needs, your desires, your agenda up under the needs of your husband. Torturous sometimes, especially when you're sitting here thinking, have you seen my husband? He has issues, okay? If I don't run this house, ain't nothing gonna get done, right? I get it, I get it. But just hang on, because husbands, you're gonna get nailed. (laughs) Okay, hope you're ready. Move back to verse 23, 523. says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. The husband is the head of the wife, the head of the house, head. Have you really thought about husbands, what that means? What is God saying when he's saying you are the head? Okay, this was pretty profound to me when I was studying and I realized what that word head means in the original language in the Greek. When Paul was talking about the head, I had always just thought that meant leader, but it means so much more than that. It means the word cornerstone, okay? A cornerstone, think of it, is the first stone laid in a brick masonry project, right? The cornerstone, the first stone laid. And especially back in ancient building times, it was so very important because every other stone in the building was set in reference to that cornerstone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Do you hear me here? Husbands, when you get married, it's fun and exciting to think of your sweet, hot little wife and all your fun little things you're going to do and your honeymoon and all that stuff. But God is calling you to set the position of the structure, of the spiritual boundary, the the dynamic for your family. As the head, you are the cornerstone. That is your God-given, ordained role before God. Whoo, I wouldn't want to be a guy, because that's a lot of pressure. I mean, seriously, all of a sudden, it doesn't sound so bad to be the one coming up under. That's a lot of pressure. And then he goes on to say, in verse 25 and 26, specifically how a husband is going to do that says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And I love the way that the message version puts that, so I'm going to read that as well. It says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church. 
Get this, a love marked by giving, not getting. You hear that? Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says, listen to me, is designed to bring out the best in her. Let that sink in. So husbands, oh my goodness, and this is hard for me to say, but man, if you are sitting here saying, my wife is so obnoxious, oh my goodness, you have not lived with my wife, can I just maybe suggest, and you know, I just want the Holy Spirit to speak it, but that you turn and look at your leadership What course are you purposing? Are you loving her with the same love that Christ loved the church? That agape love that is demonstrative and unconditional, that doesn't change based on somebody's actions? Thank God Almighty, his love does not change for me based on the way I act. Amen? Thank you that he has my best interest in mind. What if, husbands, instead of worrying about your wife actually being better and shutting her mouth and stop nagging. Instead of worrying about that, you were worrying about how you could help make her better. Husbands, let me just tell you something. As a wife, you show me a husband who is leading in the way that Christ led the church out of giving and not getting out of her best interests. And I'm going to show you a wife who cannot wait to get under that leadership and lead. Because that's, that's the way God designed it. As women, we are not designed to carry the burden of leading a home. Yet I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Okay? And it's hard. And families all over the world are falling apart as a result. So Holy Spirit, help us to glean that truth. Help me to glean that truth. Okay. If you're single here today, you're not off the hook. Guess what? The Bible clearly says, husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You'll notice that the pattern of submission to Christ is the basis for family relationships. In singles, what better platform, what better time in your life do you have than now to be immersing yourself in who God is so that when you finally do get married, you are ready. Ask him now while you can to take that selfishness, that garbage out of you so you're ready just to pour in and pour out when you meet that person someday. Now's a great time to do it. And now for my kiddos, where are the kids? Guess what Ephesians 6, 1 says to you? Ephesians 6, a couple verses down, says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Children, you got to do what mom and dad are asking you to do. But parents... 
How much easier for the kids when they see that mom and dad are doing what God is calling them to do. Hello, your kids are watching you to see what they need to be doing. So I just want to encourage you. Or maybe you're really discouraged now because you're like, forget it. That is too hard. I'm done. I did not get to come today to get preached about submission. Well, we're going to move on because God gives us exactly what to do in the second half of that verse. Okay, so we're going to look back at Ephesians 5.21. And I'm praying so hard that he will just show us through his Holy Spirit that this is attainable. That every one of you will walk out of here today with hope that your family can be every single ounce of all that God has called you to be. Ephesians 5.21 again says, Submit to one another, and here's what we're going to focus on now, out of reverence for Christ. Reverence. You ever really thought about what that word means? Reverence. A deep awe and respect for someone or something, but listen to this, based on who or what they are. A deep on respect based on who or what something is. Reverence. So let me just ask you something here. Could it be that if you are having a hard time submitting and coming up under, dying to your own self and your needs and your rights, that maybe you're having a hard time grasping who it is that is asking you to do that? Maybe you're not fully understanding the amazing value and power of God. Just think about that. I want to show you something here. All right, kids. Look what I have. You want it, Georgia? 100 buckarooskies. It's a real live Benjamin right there. I know this would impress the kids. Might even impress them. See, look at that. I know. I know kids. They're like, oh my gosh. Look. And I have Monopoly money here. $100. Woo! Okay, so kids, here's the big question for you. I think I just knocked my thing down. Here's the big question. Are you ready? If you were going to Walmart to buy some toys, a major spending spree, which one of these would you want to take with you? This? Or this? This, right? What? What, what do you mean? The real one? Why? Why the real one? So you're telling me I couldn't buy anything with this? Oh my goodness. Okay. I guess I would want to take the real one. Look, even kids get it. They get that we value something when we know it. When we know we revere or respect something when we know the value of it. All right, when we understand that I can take this to Walmart, trade it into the cashier for whatever toys I want, then I'm going to respect this. So I'm guessing if I rip this up right now, no big deal. Woo, it's fake. It's a counterfeit. Now I'm going to do that to this. (gasps) Why? What's the big deal? Because we respect it. So we're going to treat the real deal differently, aren't we? out of our respect. And that's what I want you to understand. Same thing with God. Okay? When we know who we have believed in and are persuaded that he is able to guard what he has entrusted to us, 
then our natural response is to bend the knee because we love him and we want the best for our families. Okay? So again, I ask you, do you know him? Do you trust him? And is that leading you into a position where you revere God? Doesn't take long to open up your Bibles and to immediately start seeing verse after verse after verse that focuses on who God is, on his character. But I want to share just a few of my favorites with you today, if you don't mind, just to get you started. So if you feel like your family's in a bit of a slump, maybe you're just having a hard time, use these as a springboard to get you started. Okay? I want you to understand because the Bible says Psalm 9, in Psalm 910, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. When we know him, we trust him, then we revere him. So do you know him today? He is the creator. Psalm 33 says, let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. Not only did he create you, but he created you with a word. He's that powerful. He's that amazing. That he speaks and it happens. That's a God that we serve. How about this one? He is always with you. Psalm 139. He created your inmost being. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Okay, where can you go from his spirit? Where can you hide from his presence? If you go up to the heavens, he's there. If you make your bed in the depths of the sea, he's there. If you're going through hell with your family, he's there. If your kids are not wanting to do anything you ask them to do, and life is more than you can handle, he is there. That's our God. He is there with you. He is sovereign, supremely powerful. In Isaiah 46, he says, I am God and there is none other. I am God and there is no one else like me. My purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Ultimately, there's nothing, nothing we can do to separate ourselves from his purpose and his plan. It prevails every single time. I want you to hear that this morning. That's the God we serve. He's eternal. Isaiah 40, do you not know? Have you not heard? Our God is the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired and weary in his understanding. No one can even begin to fathom. Do you get that? He is from age to age. He was way before us, and he's way after us. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Do you hear that? His understanding is fathomless. He understands when it's hard for you to submit. He understands when you're having difficulties with your family. He gets it. He's loving and he's faithful. In uh, Lamentations, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never, ever, ever ceases. I may have added an extra ever on my own. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And his faithfulness is great. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know about you, but there are so many days where I need his new mercies because I fail and I don't submit and I buck my husband and I yell at my kids. Praise you, Jesus. His mercies are new. So if you need that today, wake up tomorrow and it's new. That means clean, new. You can start again. He is generous. Psalm 84 says, and this is a hard one, but it's so true. No no good thing 
will he uphold from those who walk uprightly? And that is convicting even to say because I look out here and I see so many of you who have been through hellacious circumstances. So it's like, I know you must be asking, I have been withheld good. But I want to challenge you on that, that sometimes our perspective of what's good is a little bit different than God's perspective of what's good. And maybe good for you is that you have walked to hell and back and you are still alive, living, and breathing enough that you can even tell your story. Do you go to hell with it? Okay, no good, th- no good thing will he withhold from you when you follow him. I promise you that. That's in the word. And how about this one? Psalm 130. He is a forgiver. But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence, serve you. With you, there is forgiveness so that with reverence, we can serve you. I just want you to understand, if for no other reason to revere God, understand, remember what he has done for you, that we are breathing his air. His breath is in my lungs this morning. It is only by his grace and his sufficient grace alone that I'm even standing here, that we're here. Okay, because he has forgiven us. Because he sent his son to pay the ultimate sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to die. Ever. So let that truth sink in. And how can we do anything when we really focus on that truth but allow our lives to just fall out in response? Like, who am I that I would even hold up one agenda of my own? You know, in light of him and who he is. So I guess that's just my challenge for you today, for myself. I mean, I have been thick with conviction for past two weeks I've been talking about this. The devil's brought up every possible area that I don't like to submit to my husband. He's beat me down. But I will tell you, because of that, I know that it works. Because way more than once, I've had to point myself back to who or what I am revering. And so I want you to focus and really think right now, who is it or what is it that you are worshiping or revering? Is it your comfort? Because that's pretty counterfeit. Might be temporary, might make you happy for the moment. They ain't going to last. Your own agenda? Worthless. Is it your career? Do you think you're working so hard for your family that you don't ever have any time or emotional energy to give them? Sorry, but it's not going to last. Is it your hobbies? Things that you like to do just to get yourself the heck out of the house away from your nagging wife? Hey, what can you do to make her less nagging? because it's on you. How can you make her better? I just want you to be thinking about what it is that you might be revering any counterfeit God other than the one true God this morning. And it may be that some of you here have never even committed to a relationship with Jesus yet. You're new to this. And really, quite frankly, If you're basing it on looking around at the state of Christian families, I wouldn't blame you for running for the hills, honestly. 
mine included some days. Okay? But I promise you that his promises prove true. He is a shield, the Bible says, to all who run to him for protection. So if you need a shield this morning, maybe it's time that you submit, turn your life over to Jesus, tell him that you are done trying to call the shots and you want a relationship with him. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is that you've had this relationship with Christ, but you just know that you know you haven't been leading your family the way that God is calling you to lead your family because you know that you've been revering counterfeit gods. Maybe you need to confess that today. Wives, maybe some of you need to confess the fact that you've been bucking the system because you want it your way. I've just been praying today that the Holy Spirit would just fall thick, that he would convict like only he can, and that we would all be so challenged to get into the word and get to know Jesus, the one who's really, truly worth revering.